0: Are you looking for expert analysis and the latest news in the promotional products industry? You must be, because you're listening to the Promo Marketing Podcast.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Promo Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Norris, Editor-in-Chief of Promo Marketing, joined as always by Brendan Menape, Senior Digital Editor. Brendan, how are we doing today?
2: Doing great, Sean. How are you?
1: Fantastic. Uh, Our guests for this episode are Scott Pearson and Scott Edidin, a couple of promo industry veterans who joined us to talk about their new venture, uh, 6AM Sourcing. Their company is sourcing and creating custom apparel and promotional products uh, with a few interesting twists. One is that they're focusing on Mexico and building this North American supply chain, which is extremely timely right now with all the chaos we're seeing in the traditional supply chains. Uh, But two is how they're also focusing on compliance and social responsibility. So they told us all about that, as well as some of the custom programs they've worked on so far, uh, the behind the scenes of what they're seeing from Mexico as a sourcing and manufacturing destination for promo. Uh, And they gave us some firsthand perspective on what they're seeing in logistics and supply chain overall, and specifically the impacts for promo, which is really cool. So definitely stick around for that and see what these guys have to say. But uh, before we get there, I, I did want to talk about the big news from yesterday, which is, of course, I took the day off hmm. and I, I came back and checked email later in the evening and the, the promo Internet was was had blown up with the the news about Paul Bellantone joining Halo as senior VP of sales for the Western U.S. I kind of just assumed when we found out that he was leaving PPAI that he was going to ride off into the sunset and and just he was done in promo. Uh, So I never really thought about the possibility of him still being around in any other role. I I don't know why I assumed that, but regardless, that was a a pretty big surprise for me. Um, Paul has done so much for promo and been such a tremendous advocate for the industry. So it's great that he'll be involved in some capacity still. Uh, And this is a huge get for Halo, too, because according to their press release, he'll be uh, responsible for what it say developing relationships with industry distributors and sales professionals, which I'm assuming means he's going to be helping expand their affiliate network in some capacity, or at least working with some of their uh, affiliates. Um, so if you want to talk about relationships, I don't know if anyone is better connected in the industry than Paul is, or just generally you know, well-respected and liked.
2: Yeah, that's really what I was going to say. You know, you can't, there are a few people that you can think of who is like being the head of PPAI. Everyone knows who he is already. And he's already been, you know, so committed to the promo industry as it is. So him, this role is really well suited for him, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he was the face of the promo industry. And then I remember starting up in this industry and covering promo years back. It's been what 10 years now. he was one of the first people I talked to just to kind of onboard me into the industry for, for a story that I was working on. Uh, He always had great things to say um, for any story. He was, he was super helpful uh, always wanted to, you know, get the facts straight and and get the the right information out there about the industry, and he wasn't afraid to to you know tell it like it is and and really kind of speak truth and have some difficult conversations and you know address promos overall role in in uh, business and everything else. So I was it, you know and he was always really complimentary of promo marketing too. So it was it's nice to see him sticking around.
2: Yeah, for myself personally, you know. Uh, when I took this job, I was really thrust into the promo world. You know, you get pushed in the deep end when you get sent to PPAI for the first time. So, but, you figure you know, it out, kid. Yeah, you, you really learn by doing. But with all the chaos that comes with it, and just it's just so go go go. One of the one of the things that I knew would happen every year was that I kind of did a, a sit down talk with Paul. Usually in the last day, sometimes while they're, they're disassembling everything, and like you said, he always he never shied away from a difficult question he would you know he would bring things up that i maybe wasn't even going to ask but always told it like it is always made time for everyone again everyone knew him he was all like during these conversations he frequently had to stop to you know say hi to somebody just because people would be cruising by and see him sitting there so you know really good to see him still in the industry and in a a role like this
1: yeah i remember you were kind of our our go-to when it came to the, the, the show wrap up interviews and talking to him. But I remember one time, yeah, I, th- I think I was, I was walking by and while you were talking to him and I, I remember that everybody who walked by wanted to say hi to him and he had to kind of stop and keep <laughs>
2: saying, yeah.
1: you know, interrupting. And he was, he was always cool about it and, and friendly, but you know, it was, that was just the kind of person he was, it, yeah. or is, I should say. <laughs> still I talk, he's still, he's still with us. He's just, he still is. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of person he was with PPAI, I assume that that will will translate to Halo as well. So, yeah. all the best to him and uh, and to Halo, and we'll uh, hopefully we'll be able to to talk to him in this new capacity at some point, and we can continue having those conversations that we've had with him in the past. I'm sure we will. Uh, but that was the big news. The other thing I wanted to talk about was that uh, Department of Health and Human Services mask innovation challenge that you wrote up the other day. Uh, th- that was your story. You want to give a quick rundown for anybody who missed it before we kind of talk about some of the key points.
2: Yeah, you know, um, like you said, the Department of Health and Human Services launched, it's called the Mask Innovation Challenge. And basically they're asking people to submit designs for a face mask. You know, like over the last year, there's been a lot of trial and error when it comes to face mask construction. Some have been very effective in like filtering out particles, but they might not be as comfortable or breathable as others. Others, you know, are very comfortable, but are the opposite. They don't do what they're intended to do. And a bit of that um, uncertainty has been alleviated with that uh, standard we reported on a while ago. That's gonna, but it's not mandatory. It, it's only if you want to, if you have the standard there, like it helps the consumer know what's right, what they're getting. But in in this capacity, government asks you to send uh, designs for a face mask. There is five hundred thousand dollars available in prize money. That's not all lump sum. Like it's going to be split among winners. So. The first phase of this is people are going to, they're looking for face masks that achieve a filtration efficiency of greater than or equal to 20% against sodium chloride aerosol challenges and uh, achieve inhalation airflow resistance of less than or equal to 15 millimeters of water at a flow rate uh, of 85 plus or minus 4 LPM. I'm sure some more scientifically minded people could explain to me what this is.
1: That's, I think, a very technical way of saying they're going to test the filtration capabilities of these things and make yes. sure they're up to standards.
2: Exactly. So to put that simply, that's what's going to happen. And they're going to split. I think it's $10,000 among 10 winners there. And then after that, there's a proof of concept phase where you have to actually make something, a prototype that says, like, not only will this work on on paper, here's, a, here's how it will work. Right. And in that phase, there's going to be 400 grand split between five winners. And they didn't, they didn't mention this in the release on the government website, but you have to think they're gearing up for some sort of, uh, you know, it did say that it wants the masks to be easily mass produced and affordable. So it sounds like it'd be somewhat related to a, a giveaway program of, of some sort.
1: Yeah, and this is something the Biden administration and even the Trump administration before it has alluded to or done on a smaller scale. At least I know the Trump administration floated a plan to send a mask to every American, right? Something like that. It was either yeah. every American or some, some smaller subset of Americans. Um, and then the Biden administration sent masks to uh, a variety of organizations that were in need. Uh, so I think that, that that was definitely the obvious answer is that they're looking for something that really meets all of their specifications and all of the, the qualifications and, and you know, performance characteristics for a mask that they could easily uh, use for future programs like that. I think what's really interesting about this for me though is the timing. So submissions are due by april 21st i think it was yeah and there's mo- there's multiple phases with testing required for each of them you know they've got to meet all those requirements and do the proof of concept everything like like you said so it's going to be a few months until there's a winner that's picked and then presumably if they wanted to move ahead with the winning masks and use them for any program they would need time to actually manufacture them and distribute them and and, and all that so what this tells me is that the Biden administration anyway expects masks to be around for a while longer, right? I mean, you, yeah, don't, definitely. you don't go to all this effort if this is something you're going to forget about by September.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely not. And so, you know, with all the vaccination things, like there's always been the like the top medical minds are saying like, yes, great, get your vaccine, but you still need to wear a mask. So, right. Because, yeah, yeah. And
1: that's that's nothing that we've and we've heard this from from health experts and and even people in the industry for a while now is that yeah this is nothing the, new that masks aren't going anywhere this is a even on the promo side it's a category that you know it's not going to see the same sales that it did in 2020 but i i've talked to tons of people who have said yeah these this category is going to be here into 2021 if not further um, i know Joanne at Geiger uh, told told me that for our state of the industry report that we have coming out soon, uh, that, that these the masks or and PPE are just this is now a promo category as much as you know pens or bags or anything else. And
2: sure, again, and, that
1: doesn't mean it's going to sell like gangbusters all the time, but it's something that that businesses and consumers are going to need still, and it's you know it's going to be available.
2: Yeah, and you know, let's say tomorrow everyone in the in the world gets their COVID vaccine, that's great, but. There's still, I think if there's one thing that happened, if it's last year, it's made it so people might become more aware of how effective masks can be. So let's say you're all vaccinated against COVID, but you have a cold. If you still want to go to the grocery store, you, don't, you wear masks, you don't get everyone else sick. I think it's going to make people a bit more inclined to adopt that in their normal life post-COVID. So the masks are still going to be viable as products
1: yeah and as someone who catches a cold like seven times a year just from uh, you do man <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very worried about my immune system yeah. but, but the, so let's let's keep masks going for a while longer shall we
2: yeah
1: <laughs> um but yeah those were the two big ones i'm sure there's uh there's going to be a lot more that comes out in the meantime one, between when we record this and when everybody's able to listen to it but uh those are the two i wanted to hit all right so let's get into our interview with the uh the scots here and let's see what they had to say Scott, Scott, thanks for being here with us today. I really appreciate you dropping by the uh, virtual program. Uh, you want to just start off with some introductions and background on yourselves and get everybody familiar with with you two.
0: Sure, sure. I'm Scott Pearson. i uh, been in the promo industry for almost 20 plus years and we've now ventured out on our own, uh, living in California uh, and that's, that's where I'm at. I've
3: been in the promo industry going on 17 years now, Um, and yeah, just to pick up on what Scott said, we've we've both spent many years with larger suppliers in the industry, and a number of years ago, we made a decision to um, start our own thing uh, in a couple different directions, and it's led us to... Talking to you guys today, the
1: the pads all came together. It was perfect. Um, So the reason we wanted to have you guys on was to talk about Six AM sourcing, which is uh, kind of the latest venture that you have going on. Um, We ran the the announcement release that you guys launched uh, a few weeks ago, and anybody can check that out on magazine.promomarketing.com. Just search Six AM sourcing on there. But I thought it would be cool if you guys gave us kind of firsthand perspective. You know, what is Six AM? What does the company do? How did it all come together?
0: Yeah, we, um, you know, we, like Scott had said, we we stepped away from some of the larger suppliers that we'd worked at prior uh, to launch something that we really had a, we were passionate about, had a vision for, and we launched a consumer brand of travel goods. And in, in doing so, uh, we were moving pretty quick and good things were happening. And then like many people, COVID came and smacked us across the face and things changed pretty quickly for us. Uh, we pivoted. And we were starting to get calls from just simply good people that we have relationships with the industry that had needs through supply chains for PPE. And we responded. And so we were introduced to some really good people who now are partners with us down in Mexico City. And we had you know a lot of a uh, lot of vetting, a lot of questions, a lot of direct uh, uh, you know concerns about getting into Mexico, but uh, it's gone incredibly well and 6am really stands for something that's important to us. Um, yes, we get up early in the morning but 6am is actually about six amigos and so those are six partners that have come together to
2: really develop something special out of, out of Mexico. So you told us a bit off the air uh, about this when you first started putting together this uh, project and visiting these factories in Mexico. You weren't really sure what to expect as far as manufacturing capabilities there you realize pretty quickly there is some pretty major untapped potential. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah. Um, Scott, you can jump in too, but I mean, we were immediately, you know, we took all the years of supply chain management experience that we've developed over the years uh, in working with factories and vendors and partners in Asia and applied that directly to Mexico. And we immediately, uh, made it a strong point that we were we needed compliant factories that were socially accountable, had good QCQA processes, uh, material products uh, testing in place, and that we could really supply the needs for U.S. and Canadian customers. And so in going down there, uh, we found immediately that we've got, there are amazing, amazingly qualified factories down there. Um, there are certainly some processes and some things that need to be improved to support export into the U.S. Uh, but we've got, I mean, Scott, we've found Disney, Marvel, uh, NBC, uh, a number of Coca-Cola. I mean, a lot of good, strong, audited SedEx factories uh, to work with.
3: That, too, is through talking through our contacts in the distributor base who've gone out and tried to source and manufacture in Mexico on their own, many of them have experienced difficulties and challenges. And one of the expectations is the raw material. Most of the raw material, the expectation was it was going to come and be imported into Mexico from China or other Asian countries where we get the bulk of our raw material now. What we discovered very, very early on is there is a tremendous domestic raw material manufacturing base specifically for textiles in Mexico that's allowed us to be very, very innovative and also be very quick to delivery um, where we've had challenges or the traditional sourcing channels have had challenges as of late due to material availability. Or social issues in regards to harvesting raw material,
1: yeah, and, and that's something we're going to get get into in a little bit is kind of the overall supply chain and what what you guys are seeing there since you're right in it uh, but I was curious how how far along is Mexico compared to China, you know as far as manufacturing infrastructure and, and all that, you know, what was the process like as far as getting it brought up to speed and what you guys were seeing
3: really isn't as developed um developed in terms of meeting our expectations um, as China and other Asian countries that we've been working with and working with to evolve for many, many years, you know, 20, 30 years now. However, the capabilities and the manufacturing potential of Mexico is extremely developed in terms, like Scott mentioned before, in terms of quality of the product that's put out, care that's put in, Um, also the attention to detail in terms of what they need to do to develop, to get better, and to evolve, to meet U.S. and Canadian market expectations. Our biggest challenge is making sure the production process stays on track and expectations are met or exceeded. So it requires, on our end of things, a, a tremendous amount of production and operations management and deep, deep relationship building to convey what the expectation of the U.S. and the, and the Canadian consumer is, because it's quite different than the domestic Mexican consumer. Uh, their expectations are, are, are quite a bit different. So that's the biggest challenge that we have. And that's where the biggest gap lies in between China, for example, and where Mexico is
2: right now. Now, what are some examples of orders you've worked on so far and how you guys like at 6am your specific expertise factored in? Can you kind of walk us through that process?
0: Um, you know, from 6AM from expertise specifically, that, is, that, that derives from our understanding and knowledge of working on many custom orders with many customers over the years and simply then bringing that down into Mexico and then finding the strengths of what Mexico can do in supporting to provide great solutions. Um, for example, uh, again, textiles, bags, apparel, caps, um, those seem to be some of the initial strengths we found, PPE. Um, And so we have been able to take the creativity that we're accustomed to and being able to develop presentations and solutions for customers, and then we are able to apply that to Mexico. Um, For example, we're working with a big umbrella group company that has many brands under it, and we've been able to successfully deliver on Uh, Caps, for example. So a number of caps from six panel, five panel, cotton twill, all sorts of materials using all sorts of embellishment type capabilities from embroidery to sublimation, transfer, Uh, we're doing custom labeling, uh, inseaming on the inside of the caps, we're doing flat bill, curve bill, we're doing imprinting under the bills. I mean, so the capabilities are vast. And because of that, we're then able to acquire uh, and and build out under many of the other brands under one of the groups. And I know Scott, you've got another great case study as well. Sample um, that that we've buttoned up right
3: now is a, another uniform program. And Uniform programs and larger scale custom apparel are one of our greatest strengths, simply because of um, because of the expertise of cut and sew in Mexico and the raw material production. So um, one of the most recent projects that we worked on happened to be a safety uniform program where it was a safety green neon yellow type of a color, but it was spanning over a multitude of skews, a t-shirt, a polo shirt, a couple of hoodies, a couple of jackets, a piece of headwear. And the customer was currently acquiring products from a multitude of different product lines. So you had inconsistencies with the color, you had inconsistencies with the style, the cut, the fit, but these are the products that the, that the end user wanted. It was a very large program at the time. Well, they're getting ready to place a reorder with their existing supplier. And due to some of the challenges we're experiencing right now with production in Asia, as well as logistics and transit, um, Delivery dates were going to be pushed up very far, and the customization that they wanted to make was going to exceed what their quantity commitment was going to be. So what we were able to do is take the existing styles or similar styles, develop our own styles, which were very, very close, but with some of the modifications that the, the customer wanted. For example, they would wanted some reflective striping in areas on the garment that were not common. Uh, and if they were to be made and manufactured in Asia that way, the minimums would have been astronomical well over ten thousand pieces because of what was required. Fortunately, due to the raw material production and the garment and the, uh, the the fabric production that we have in Mexico, we were able to do that at very low minimums a thousand pieces versus ten thousand pieces and cut their production time down by a third and span the entire breadth of the product line and category offerings that the client wanted. Um, so these are some of the the Strength of doing business in North America, primarily Mexico, because we're able to uh, we're able to meet the needs and the demands that may otherwise be very challenging through traditional traditional sourcing and manufacturing channels
1: so that sort of brings in that one stop shop kind of approach that you know is so desirable right now and so important with maintaining consistency and, and kind of ironing out those fine details that might be harder to get if you're sourcing for multiple you know suppliers or factories or what have you I also need to ask, because this was in the press release that you guys sent out announcing everything, but what's <laughs> what's up with the uh, the pinatas? What's the story there? Well,
0: we, uh, <laughs> we do take uh, and listen to all opportunities that come our way, and this is one that was specific, uh, again, to a, a large-scale beverage brand uh, that finds a need to have advertising and placement in a lot of bars and restaurants, and they wanted to be able to do something fun that represented their brand uh, primarily for, let's say the, the upcoming NFL season. And they wanted a pinata that could go in 2,500 different locations. And so we were able to, again, source vet the factory. It's a very artisan factory, but it's a good high quality factory. And we've gone through a number of different sampling, but yes, we have, uh, actually produced and are delivering a, a really cool <laughs> piñata, which uh, it gets real interesting when you get into the freight and logistics and shipping end of it. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, we can do piñatas. So we do take on a number of different, very unique items. And we will vet the factories, we will source it and develop it. Uh, and as long as it's within our wheelhouse and within our supply chain, then we will deliver on it.
1: It was for a beverage, brand. Was the pinata filled with beer by any chance?
2: <laughs> Actually, just a lot of air. Um, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd be my kind of pinata. Yeah.
2: So while we're on the topic of supply chains, uh, global supply chains are pretty chaotic right now. We've done a good bit of reporting on that with the pandemic. You guys are still in China too, right? Correct. We are. We're, we're
3: doing about... 25 percent of our business still in china with the bulk of it focusing on mexico there are just some categories that uh that are not available uh outside of, of china and southeast asia right now yeah so there's
0: things that we sorry real quick brenda we, there's, things, there's things that we are asked to source that we know we can find globally or in asia or that typically mexico would be importing directly from asia themselves anyways so it just doesn't make sense um, and we just, again, all the years, you know, that we have de- uh, working and developing supply chain throughout Asia, it just
2: makes good sense and we can deliver on it. So what are you guys seeing with that, uh, that kind of traditional promo supply chain logistics wise? Any, any real disruptions or anything like that?
0: Uh, there's been a lot of delays, uh, obviously, coming out of you know, with containers and being able to acquire the containers for shipping, and then the containers here outside of the ports of California that are simply delayed coming in. It can be very frustrating. Uh, so when you, put, when you take Chinese New Year and then some of the delays, obviously, the number of calls we've received over the last uh, three, four, five months has definitely increased due to that, but we're also seeing the continued need for delivery dates that allow a customer to have a custom product or a large quantity volume product that out of Asia may take 90 to 120 days and we're able to deliver on it out of Mexico. If we can do it in Mexico, we can deliver it on it within, say, 30, 45, uh, 60 days at the most.
1: Uh, yeah. I was going to say, you you had mentioned you know, seven to 10 day transit times from Mexico, which is, that's like a third of ocean freight times right now, right? Correct. So, so how does it? I mean, kind of how does it compare overall with what you guys are seeing from you know that traditional you know, China supply chain and overseas versus what you're seeing on the North America side?
3: See any logistics or freight delays right now on the North American side? And and because we we share a continent, uh, it makes things quite a bit easier and more options for transit and for freight. You know, for example, we've got situations where we can have uh trucks sent to laredo to a distribution center in laredo texas and drop ship out of laredo texas uh, almost as if it's a a domestic type of a source Uh, within the u.s we have opportunities to rail containers to their destinations to uh, truck containers to their destinations uh or even just simply ship ups or fedex channels for an economical ground type of a shipment which will deliver within you know, approximately seven to 10 days. Uh, So it makes things quite a bit easier and uh, it allows for an easier conversation for distributors to have with their customers on custom products for delivery time, as opposed to some of the shock that they may may receive when saying that there's a 30 to 40 to 60 day production time in Asia and an additional 30 days on the water. And then right now we're experiencing delays at the ports, you know, up to two to three weeks, getting container ships into the ports, getting them unloaded. And then once they're unloaded another week or two to even have your container become available to you. Um, so it, it really does alleviate some of the pain points with, with freight and transit right now. Um, and we're continuing to develop other, uh, other logistics um, opportunities and logistics options out of Mexico and, and other North American uh, manufacturing yeah. origins.
1: Yeah. Cause you can cut it, you know, you be, being able to cut out the ocean freight, Portion of it, you eliminate so many variables and so many things that can go wrong, especially with what we're seeing at the ports right now and the backups, which are expected to last into the summer, if not longer. So that's that's a huge advantage when you're sourcing from you know the same continent.
0: Correct, absolutely. As well as the tariffs, I mean, we haven't really talked too much about that, but that that has definitely been something that's been a uh, you know a cost impact, and not in a positive way, and we have been able to keep unit pricing out of Mexico competitive, and then you certainly are
2: avoiding uh, a lot of those tariff uh, add-ons as well. You know, speaking of those tariffs, anytime there's been a real supply chain shakeup, we've done countless stories about this, Is it's always, you know, is this gonna be the thing that finally makes the promo industry less reliant on China? Between the pandemic and what you guys are seeing in Mexico with things being pretty smooth, do you think things will ever really change that much?
0: I think there's always going to be progression, no matter what. I think the need to have, you know, not to be so reliant upon one specific country or area or region for for whatever products you're you're needing to import, um, is is going to increase. I think that certainly the tariffs, uh, the settlement towards China certainly changed the the you know the impact of the last administration certainly had an impact. However. Um China's still incredibly strong and they're still going to continue to get stronger. China's not going to go away as far as an option for uh, quality products and the things that we might need. However, uh, if we can get them closer to home and get them here cost competitively and and still spend a little bit less and have less of a, Uh, let's just say a a carbon impact on the environment or the world because of freight and everything else, why wouldn't we start to choose and look at uh, either in country or close within our continent of North America? I mean, it just seems to make good sense. But China is going to continue to be strong and and a good viable option.
1: And that's the sense that I'm getting from a lot of the folks I've talked to as well, is that, you know, China is going to be able to do things still that other manufacturing bases can't do just because of how mature the supply chain is over there and how long you know, this is that we've been doing it that way. Um, but I I do get the sense that, like you said, there's kind of a noticeable incremental change at this point that that we're going to see some more supply chain diversification, especially as a result of the pandemic.
0: Correct. There, it's it absolutely, and we we've already been validated just simply by the calls we've had, the meetings we've had, the discussions we're having, being on your show, um, certainly there is a recognition of this as a viable opportunity. And I think what a lot of, the, a lot of our customers, a lot of the, the promotional distributors in the industry are looking for somebody to develop a secure um, you know, supply chain out of Mexico that is able to deliver on time. You know, like Scott had said much earlier, you know, the, the values in Mexico domestically are just simply a little different. You know, where in Mexico, the first priority is typically going to be price, then quality, and then thirdly will be delivery. Where here in the U.S., we really hold an equal bar for all three of those. And so we've got a we're developing the, the operational supply part of it and the, the, the processes and the procedures, and we are not going to stop uh, developing them. Right now
3: is simply to just deal with any challenges that that come our way to ensure that they don't impact the product or the delivery schedule it's all the behind the scenes work you know working with us makes it sound easy and it's a smooth process but it's simply because we've had the experience over the years dealing with the challenges knowing how to manage those challenges manage the expectations And work both ways all the way through the supply chain to the raw material manufacturers, to the decorators, um, to logistics companies, all the way through to the customer, to the end user as well. Uh, That's our expertise. And that's what we continue to, to our value to the supply chain out of Mexico is to help them evolve to meet our expectations and then to improve upon those.
1: Very right, cool, guys. I mean, th- this has been fantastic. We really appreciate you coming by. Is there anything else you want to add before we let you go and get back to your uh, your business over there?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's actually something that's incredibly important to Scott, myself, Cindy, and, and our other three amigos, everybody involved. And that is really our, uh, our social purpose work that we started with our travel brand, which is Exact, um, And we're carrying that right through into our 6am business, which is growing so quickly and that is that um, we're applying right now for our pending b corp certification which we acquired our full certification with our exact business and we're going to continue our social purpose work with planetwater.org and specifically there are definitely big needs uh, for clean water throughout mexico and we're pulling resources out of mexico we believe it's proper to put resources back in and that's that's our work that we're going to be doing down there as well um, and including in that, we're also trying to work with as many sustainable recycled materials as possible when it, when it is possible. Um, and that's that's something that just our values are ethos. That is really important to us and that's part of our business model is working within a triple bottom line. And so we're definitely a profit driven business. We're focusing us also on social purpose work and then environmental stewardship as well. So. That's that's really important to us so I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to mention that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's tremendous and in addition to just, you know, the the natural good of being able to give back like that. I mean, that's something that consumers and buyers are looking for these days too, is companies that that do that kind of thing and that do give back. So that's that's a huge edge in in, you know, for distributors looking to source.
0: Correct.
1: All right, guys. Well, if if that's all we got, then uh, it's been really great having you. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk to you again soon. We wish you best of luck with everything you guys have going on.
0: Yeah, Sean, Brendan, thank you so much to both of you.
1: That about does it for this episode. Uh, If you like what you heard, please leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, remember, you can also check us out on Spotify. I know a lot of people are on there, myself included. So uh, check us out wherever you can.
2: And if you have any tips or comments, feel free to send them our way on Twitter at promo underscore marketing.
1: Brendan Meniface. I am Sean Norris, and this is the Promo Marketing Podcast.